begin Nehemiah, and it happens to be one of my favorite books because it has so much practical application. Um, this fellow named George Bernard Shaw wrote, The worst sin towards our fellow creatures is not to hate them, but to be indifferent to them. And that's the essence of inhumanity. So here we are looking at Nehemiah, who heard about people going through difficult times, and he felt like he had to do something. I mean, God really pulled at his heart. I have got to do something. And this first chapter, how he goes about doing that, the proper way to do that. So let's open in prayer before we get started. Oh, Heavenly Father, what a wonderful example we have in Nehemiah of, of the proper way of stepping out in faith. And so we do ask that you speak to us now as we get into this first chapter, Lord. We want to know him better. We want to know you better. And so we just give you this time, ask that you bless it. In Jesus' name, amen. Nehemiah chapter 1. Now I'm reading out of the New Living Translation because I thought it read just a little bit easier. So um, I hope you can follow with me. Verse 1, these are the memoirs of Nehemiah, son of, okay, you know me, I always butcher the names, okay, son of Hakalia. Now that sounds like a girl's name, but you know, I'm going to go with it. In late autumn, the month of Kislev, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes' reign, it was... At the fortress of Susa, Han and I, one of my brothers, came to visit me and some other men who had just arrived from Judah. I asked them about the Jews who had returned there from captivity and how things were going in Jerusalem. They said to me, things are not going well for those who return to the province of Judah. They are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem has been torn down and the gates have been destroyed by fire. So, Nehemiah had known that Jerusalem had been destroyed by the Babylonians. Um, it was 50 years later, and um, a group of about, about 50,000 Jews had returned to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple and the city. Uh, since the Gentiles had hindered their work, the temple was not completely completed, but pretty close, but the outside wall was still um, in, uh, in just piles of rocks. And they really depended on the walls of Jerusalem to, for protection. And so uh, they were never repaired. And so anybody who would come, want to come, uh, robbers, thieves, could sneak into the city. Because you remember, they always liked to close it off. You know, they liked to surround themselves with this high wall and then they would have these gates that they would close at night and then they had uh, you know the big gates that they would close at night and then they would always have like a little side gate so that you know if you happen to be traveling late at night you could come through that small door but there was a guard there so now they didn't have that the whole the whole wall was just in crumbles because the Babylonians were very thorough and, you know, perhaps Nehemiah had hoped that the work on the walls had begun and the city was now just, uh, restored, but that is not the information that he got. And so he says, when I heard this, verse 4 says, I sat down and wept. In fact, for days I mourned, fasted, and prayed to the God of heaven. 
Uh, whoever said big, big boys don't cry? You know, my husband cries. It's one of the sweetest things that I, I love about him. When something really moves him, he does cry. And I'm sure some, a lot of you have probably seen him. You know, sometimes he'll be teaching and he'll start crying. He's just a very, he, he feels things very, very deeply. And I kind of picture this is what Nehemiah is like also. And, you know, Jesus cried. So, I mean, he's like, he was a big carpenter buff dude, you know. So, you know, and he cried. So there is nothing wrong for men to cry. It's not a sign of weakness, especially in this case. Um, his people were destitute, and it was customary for the Jews when they are really um, upset that they just they just sit down. You know, we do that thing when, when we're overwhelmed by news. Don't we just kind of sit down and put our heads in our lap? You know, that's what we do. And so it's kind of the same thing that he did here. So unconsciously, Nehemiah was um, just, you know, just sitting down um, prostrate before the Lord and grieving for his people. Now, like Daniel, uh, Nehemiah probably had like this private room where he would like to get away. You remember, Daniel was also a captive. And whenever he wanted to pray to his Lord, he would go off into his like little prayer closet. And it doesn't mean that you have to literally go into your closet or pantry or something and hide there. Although some of us moms have done that in the past. Um, <laughs> you know, just I'm going in the bathroom. I need a moment alone. Okay. So, um, of course, you don't get that. What do they do? Oh, mom, I'm good. You know, they pound on the door. I know mine used to do that. But anyway, it's just a place where you can be alone with God. And that's important. Distractions come at us from all directions, don't they? You know, you almost feel like, you know, turning the phone off, everything, just so you can have a quiet moment. But uh, this is what Nehemiah did. And so he prayed to God and he put his face towards Jerusalem, just beseeching the God of heaven, saying, Lord, what do I do? And so I like that. When he heard bad news, he didn't get mad. He didn't fly off the handle like most of the time we like to do. He immediately began to pray. And so that is a great lesson that Nehemiah gives us. So fasting was required of the Jews only once a year. Um, and that was on the annual Day of Atonement. But Nehemiah spent several days fasting, weeping, and praying. Now, I don't know if you ladies have ever deprived yourself of food. I know for me, usually about the three days, after three days, I'm lightheaded. So I don't know how long he fasted. But um, he really, really wanted an answer from God. And he knew that somebody had to come and rescue Jerusalem. Somebody had to be the hand of God and to restore it. And so he begins one of the greatest prayers, I feel, in the Bible. Um, you know, the, the Lord's Prayer is wonderful, and it's, if you look at the two, they're very similar. Um, you know, our Father who art in heaven. Well, Nehemiah starts out with praise also to the Lord. And so... Um, he says, then, verse 5, I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of unfailing love with those who love him and obey his commands. So it is obvious that Nehemiah has put great trust in God. And um, God can, I mean, he honors that. And he also knew that he could only accomplish what needs to be done. Going to Jerusalem, all the 
the, the, the obstacles that he had to overcome, he could only do it through God's strength. So how often do we just launch out, even if it's something that you say, oh, well, it's ministry. Of course God is calling me to do this. But oftentimes he's saying, no, I just want you to pray. I'm not saying you to jump out and, and do this thing. I just want you to pray. Slow down. But, boy, we just love to get ahead of them, don't we? And at least, okay, I'm speaking to, the, you know, to myself here. Um, I oftentimes will do that. Well, obviously, it's ministry, isn't it? So I'm supposed to do it. But God's saying, no, you're not. No, that's not for you. I want you to do this. Somebody else is doing that. You're stealing their blessing. I'm like, okay, I'm sorry, Lord. I'm so, I stole it. <laughs> so anyway, um, but what happens when we step out ahead of God, when he's not called you to do something? Even if it's not a bad thing, there are a lot of good things that God doesn't want you to do. So what happens is we fail miserably because it is the arm of flesh. It is not something God's calling us to do. He has something else he wants you to do, but no, you're distracted by this over here. And so we must pray and ask, God, is this what you have for me? Is this what you want me to do? And um, make sure you wait for him. Don't jump ahead. So Nehemiah starts with praise, recognizing who God is. In his attributes, and I love these, he's saying, you're great, you're awesome, you keep your covenants, you're merciful, you have unfailing love, just like, you know, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Um, so we pray to a great and awesome God, not just a genie in the bottle. You know, sometimes I'm amazed at how people will demand things of the Lord. No, you don't want to do that. Because, you know, sometimes the Lord might just get what you're praying for. And that could be a big disaster. I mean, how many times have you prayed, well, Lord, I really want this job. I know I I, I really want this, Lord. And you don't say, I want what you want for me. No, you're determined. I want this job. I have to have this job. And you're not thinking that God knows best. You just know that at this point in time, because we're very emotionally driven people, aren't we? Especially us gals. So our emotions can get the better of us. And we will almost demand of God, like, you know, I'm going to rub this little uh, vase in, and my genie's going to come out, and he's going to give me my three wishes. Sometimes we treat God that way, but we must trust him. He created you. He knows exactly what you need. And sometimes we forget that. If he thinks that you need this job, if it's his will that you get that job, he will give it to you. But you can't demand it of him, because sometimes he might just give it to you. And then you'll go, oh, now I know why you were saying no. Oh, sorry, big big bummer. So anyway, he says in verse 6, Listen to my prayer. Look down and see me praying day and night for your people Israel. I confess that we have sinned against you. Yes, even my own family I have sinned. So you can almost hear that agony that Nehemiah had in his prayer. He says, please listen. I know we have disobeyed you. I know the children of Israel really blown it here. And we've done everything wrong. And he includes himself and his family in that. So as you know, we were going through our study sheets, what does the, the Bible tell us? All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. If you say you have not sinned, you're a liar. And you deceive yourself. So, you know, he's saying, yes, even I have sinned against you. 
It says we have, verse 7 says, we have sinned terribly by not obeying the commands, decrees, and regulations that you gave us through your servant Moses. <clears throat> so Nehemiah knew exactly what he had done wrong. Uh, God was very specific when he gave the law to Moses. He says, you're to do this, you're not to do that. You know, and the biggest thing that the Israelites always did is they followed after false gods. No different from us today. Our gods are just a little bit different, aren't they? You know, their power, their um, their Facebook, their all sorts of things. Anything that you put above God that that takes precedence over your relationship with the Lord. And so the children of Israel, I mean, they literally followed after false gods. I mean, they would bow down before idols and things like that. And so apparently they were doing this. And God was um, saying, if you do that, I will not. Yes. Hello. Um, uh, he says, if, um, if you follow my law, I will bless you. I will prosper you. Everything will go well for you. If you follow after false gods, that covenant is pulled. And I'm just going to let the world have its way with you. And that's exactly what was going on here. Um, they they turned against God, and now they were paying the price. So he says, please remember what you told your servant Moses. If you are unfaithful to me, I will scatter you among the nations. And so they did. They disobeyed God, and they were conquered, and they were scattered. Uh, Rhonda brought up a really good analogy this morning. You know, when we were uh, evacuated from our fires that we always seem to have up here, we've had two big ones that I can remember. Um, in recent history, anyway. So didn't you feel like suddenly you were scattered? We were all over the place, weren't we? We were scattered. I mean, some of us were in Palm Springs. Some of us were in, you know, Costa Mesa. Some were in Temecula. I mean, they, we were everywhere. And it's rather un, unsettling, isn't it? It's like my life's been turned upside down. Well, of course, that wasn't because of sin in our lives. But that's kind of what the people of Israel were now going through. They were scattered all over the place. Um, First, they were conquered by the Assyrians, um, and they didn't repent. Then they were conquered by the Babylonians. Then they didn't repent. And then by the Persian, who um, Nehemiah is now serving, you know, the king of Persia is who he is serving here. He was the cupbearer for the king of Persia. And it's amazing how one person who recognizes that the children of Israel had gone in the wrong direction says, I know what God wants. And he was able or is going to be able to lead the people back to Jerusalem and restore it. Um, We see this sometimes. God used Moses, one man, to do amazing things, to turn life around for the children of Israel. And then he used Joshua, didn't he? he? Joshua was a great conqueror, and they brought him to the promised land. And so, you know, one person just had such an effect. That's why everybody... Is so important in the kingdom of God, aren't they? One person can do amazing things. And you know what? He was a person just like you and I that God used through him. It wasn't because he had these wonderful gifts, especially a Moses. Didn't we hear about him? He stuttered. He did all sorts of things that, um, you know, he says, oh, you can't. You can't use me. I, I can't speak in front of people. You know, I can't do this. I can't do that. And God says, no, no, no. I want to use you. And so I think oftentimes it's because you feel like God can't use you, um, two things will happen. Either it makes you humble so God can speak through you, or you're just so fearful that God can't use you. So be careful which one you are. 
So anyway, um, Nehemiah is now recounting what God had promised. He says, please remember what you told your servant Moses. If you are unfaithful to me, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you remember me and obey my commands and live by them, then even if you are exiled to the ends of the earth, I will bring you back to the place I have chosen for my name to be honored. So God had promised blessing and cha- or chastening, depending on if you followed him or not. But he promised forgiveness if his people would repent and turn back to him. He was saying, you know what? Bygone, let bygones be bygones. You know what? You repented. I don't remember, you know, as far as the east is from the west, your sins. And isn't that a wonderful promise for us? That even if we have really, really blown it, he says, you know what? You just repent, turn back to me, and all is forgiven. What a wonderful promise that is. I love it. So um, did God need to be reminded of this promise? No, God knew. Of course, he didn't need to be reminded by Jeremiah. You know, God, you promised this. But you know what? I think that... It was more of a reminder for Nehemiah. We have to remind ourselves all the time of the great things God has done in our lives. I know I do. I forget so easy. And as I get older, I notice I forget even more. (laughs) The only good thing about forgetting things when you get older is you don't know what you've forgotten because you've forgotten it, right? So... So anyway, I do need, I need to be reminded all the time of God's promises. And then in that, you have that assurance that God is looking out for you. You know, remember, he, he has plans for you. He has a future and a hope for you. And so I love that. So Nehemiah was recognizing that God does keep his promises. And in this prayer, Nehemiah was essentially confessing for all of the children of Israel, saying, we have really blown it. Since Joshua, we have just followed after one God after another. And if you read through the book of Judges, it's like, oh my goodness, look what these people are doing. How do they do that? I know I read Judges and I go, are you kidding me? Now they're, they're, they're doing evil in the sight of the Lord? Haven't they learned their lesson yet? And then I go, oh, that's just like me. <laughs> you know? So anyway... Um, Don't come down too hard on them because we're the same way. We just have different little gods. And so Nehemiah asked God to forgive his people, regather them to their land, and restore them to his favor and blessing. What an awesome prayer that is. I mean, and that's the kind of prayer we need to pray for the church today, don't we? And so the people you rescued by your great power and strong hand are your servants. So Israel had been rescued when the Persians took over. Uh, you remember, he, they allowed 50,000 of them to go to Jerusalem and live there. So this actually, the Persian king was not such a bad guy. You know, all things considered, yes, he was a heathen, but God was able to speak to him. And before, their other conquerors were very cruel, and um, God was about to speak to the heart of the king of Persia to let Nehemiah go. And that is so hopeful to me because, you know, sometimes we've got some crazy things going on in the world today. And we have leaders who, in my view, shouldn't be leaders all over the world. And it's like, my goodness, God, you know, how did these people get in these positions? Well, you know, we're a sinful world and we've given our world over to the enemy. But God can still speak into the heart and mind 
of these leaders, even if they don't know him, even if they're not receptive to his, his voice in their heart. And so that gives us hope, doesn't it? He can speak to the king of Persia to let Nehemiah go. And so likewise, any leader today that, that causes you a loss of sleep, just keep in mind that God can speak to hearts. And so we need to keep those people in prayer, don't we? We need to keep our president in prayer. We need to keep our congressmen in prayer. All of them, congresswomen in prayer. And so it's important that we pray for them. I mean, they're not going to change if we don't pray for them, right? Right, we need to really pray. So he says, Oh, Lord, please hear my prayer. Listen to the prayers of those who delight in honoring you. Please grant me success today by making the king favorable to me. Put it into his heart to be kind to me. And in those days, I was the king's cupbearer. So uh, a question was asked earlier this morning. Well, why did he tell him he was a, the king's cupbearer? It could have been, you know, I kind of, for me, it said, Lord, I just work at McDonald's. What can I do? Right? Isn't that, it's like, I'm just this lowly servant. What can I do? How can I do this great thing of going to Jerusalem and rebuilding Jerusalem? And so, um, but Nehemiah was confident that God would work in the heart of the king of Persia and secure uh, for the project the official support that is needed. I mean, he needed materials. He needed all sorts of stuff. I mean, he needed the time. He needed the vacation time, you know. So um, he was an appointee of the king, and he needed the king's permission for everything that he was about ready to undertake. Furthermore, he needed the king's provision and protection so that he could travel to Jerusalem because the, the world was a pretty evil place by then. You know, there were a lot of robbers on the road and stuff like that. And so... He had to travel to Jerusalem and remain away from his post until the work was completed. And who knows how long that was going to take. I mean, if this was today, it would still take about a year or more. You can imagine how long it would take. When you're, you don't have earth movers, you don't have you know, backhoes, you don't have anything like that. You're picking these rocks up yourself and piling them on top of each other. That looks like a lot of work, doesn't it? So without official authority to govern an official guard for the journey and the right to use materials from the king's forest, the entire project would be destined to fail, wouldn't it? So, but the king's heart is the hand of the Lord. He directs it like a water course wherever he pleases. That's what Proverbs 21.2 says. So he can speak to the king's heart, just like we talked about before. So too often we plan our projects and then ask God to bless them. I do that myself. Um, And it doesn't matter how small the project is. You know, most of you know I love to sew. If I plan a project and not consult God first, I'm finding out that I can really make big mistakes. Sometimes they're costly mistakes. You know, just because I can sew doesn't mean I can go without God's favor in that project. And, and that's a little thing. Sewing projects are small compared to the, the problems of the world. And so, but Nehemiah wouldn't make that mistake. He prayed and prayed and prayed. And as we found out in our study sheets, sheets he um, prayed for a long time, months, didn't he? And so that's a long time to be praying for something. How many times do we say, well, I prayed about it one day. Okay, Lord, come on, come on, come on. You know, I need, uh, yeah. Uh, Where's my answer? I need an answer now. Well, sometimes God says, you know what? 
I'm working in the background. I've got things that I am, I am arranging and, you know, I've got this to work on and that to work on. You just cool your jets a little bit, you know. So he does. He does tell us to do that. And so it is really hard for us because we're such an impatient people, aren't we? You know, especially in this fast food society, you know. When you need to find out something, you get on your cell phone and you've got an answer right away. Well, in this case, you know. How long? Yeah, you Google it. So how long does it take to go 800 miles on either walking or horseback? I mean, you do the math. My goodness, 800 miles is a long ways. That's like, let me see, here to, no, San Francisco's closer than that. Uh, maybe here to Oregon? And, you know, think about no car. Yeah? Yeah. So each time, you know, they want to converse, you know, he's having to go back, you know, Go weeks, maybe even. So, um, but he sat down, he wept, he prayed, he asked the Lord first and foremost. And then stood up, and then he got busy. When he felt like he had the answer, he goes, okay, now to get down to business. And so, um, make sure that we don't use prayer as an excuse. Have you ever heard that? Well, you know, I'm still praying about it. And when the Lord had answered the prayer long before, but they were just afraid, I've done that. I know. Um, sometimes the Lord is saying, I want you to do this. And you prayed about it, and you go, oh, Lord, I'm not sure I like that answer. I'm going to keep praying and see if you're going to change your mind. <laughs> so anyway, what is prayer? And I'll just use uh, a quick rundown of what it is for me personally. And for me, it is... It's just a conversation between me and the Lord. And now, when you talk to your friend, do you do all the talking? Well, if you do, you shouldn't. Because, you know, if you're conversing with a friend, don't you want to both of you talk? You know, I kind of look at it. It's a 50-50 thing. You talk half the time. They talk half the time. So I kind of look at it. Okay, Lord, I've talked. Now I need to receive from you. And it really is just a conversation. Um, Jesus tells us how to pray in Matthew 6, 5 through 8. He says, And when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets, that they may be seen by men. See, they, they, want, they want like, wow, you're so righteous. Aren't you just so, something special? You know, that's what they, they wanted to, to hear. He says, Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you pray, go into your room, and when you have shut the door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions. Um, some people will say, you know, our Father who art in heaven, how be thy name, the kingdom come, yeah. and they go on and on and on. And they go, okay, I've said my prayer for the day. Well, that's a vain repetition. Did you truly mean everything or was it just you were just repeating words and they didn't go into your heart? It wasn't from your heart. God wants to hear genuine prayers. This is just a, the Lord's Prayer is simply an example of how to pray. It's not, Jesus wasn't saying, I want you to pray like this every single time. That's a vain repetition. That's not giving the Lord your heart. And so, it says, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Therefore, 
Do not be like them, for your Father knows the things you have need of before you ask them. He knows. He knows exactly what you need. Romans 8.26, Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses, for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought. Have you ever been that way? Have you just been so burdened down that you can't pray? That's when you say, Lord, help me to pray. You know, I, I, I need your help in this. It says, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Isn't that wonderful? So he helps us to pray. If you don't know what to pray, then just pray, Lord, what do you want me to pray? See, that's an easy solution. First uh, Thessalonians 5.25, pray without ceasing. Now, of course, that doesn't mean that you have to have your head bowed and your eyes closed 24-7. That's silly. You don't want to do that in the car. The car is a wonderful place to pray. When you're driving down the hill and you're by yourself, perfect time to pray. And you don't close your eyes. You just remember, it's a conversation. Just like he was sitting in the seat next to you. You can pray. It's a wonder. And you know what? It, it's no interruptions as long as you're a safe driver. Um, <laughs> but uh, we're, we're to pray without ceasing. And that is just conversing with God in everything you say and do. It's like, Lord, what are we to do today? You know, uh, where do you want me to shop? Do you want me to buy this thing? Yeah, I remember years ago telling somebody that I, when I can't decide if I want to buy something or not, even if it's a small thing, Lord, well, I like this blouse. And he knows. He goes, no, no. You see the content? It's, it's a cotton knit. What do cotton knits do? They shrink this way and they get wider. And so they look ridiculous. So he would know that, wouldn't he? Is it silly to ask for guidance? No, it's not. Because you know what? We're supposed to be good stewards of the things that we buy. And so there is nothing wrong with praying for even small things. Not sure how to cut your hair? Oh, gosh, well, I like this. I don't know. Should I do it? Well, I like my hair pink. I don't know. You know? So you pray. Lord, you know me better than I know myself. Should I dye my hair pink? And he might just say, you know what? You will love it. I would love to bless you in this. Do it. You know, and you're going, whoo I got pink hair. And so, of course, that's an extreme. But you see, he cares. And people think that, you know, because he is the creator of the universe, which he is, that he doesn't like that personal one-on-one conversation. Why do you think he created you? That's what he wants. He wants to be able to to interact with you on a personal basis, just like your best friend. You would ask your best friend, should I dye my hair pink or should I do it green? You know, and they would say, eh, you know. But see, they don't know you like God knows you. He did, you know, God will know if you're going to be satisfied with a purchase. You know, not to mention some of the bigger purchases. You know, should I buy this car? Should I buy this house? Should I do this? Should I do that? So it's, it's important that we do pray without ceasing. Uh, Philippians 4.6 says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication. You all should know this. With thanksgiving, let your requests be known, made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. So, we will be anxious about everything and anything, won't we? And when we pray, when we ask God, it takes that anxiousness away. 
you know, you're anxious about dyeing your hair pink. Don't worry, I'm not going to dye my hair pink. Um, <laughs> but see, if you pray about it and the Lord says, yes, you will love it, what happens instantly? Oh, wow, I've got peace. It is the right decision. So how much more if you've got something difficult in your life going on? You pray about it. The Lord gives you that peace that surpasses all understanding. You don't know why you got peace. All you know that God has given you peace, that you are going in the right direction. And so that is very important. Um, we worry about everything. Our kids, our homes, our husbands, our jobs, you know, our pets, um, everything we are concerned about. And the key here in this verse is to pray about everything. If it occupies your mind, if it's distracting you, Pray about it, and then you can just put it to rest. Isn't that a wonderful promise? First John 5.14 says, Now this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked of him. So the key here is according to his will. I mentioned that earlier. We don't want to go outside God's will because he knows you. He knows what you need. And so it really comes down to trusting him. Say, Lord, I know you love me more than anything. You want only the best for me. So I want your will in this. I don't want to step outside your will because he would know if it's going to be a big mistake. So he knows best. And um, the important thing is to truly want his will and to um, trust him. And the only way we can learn to trust him is get to know him. You don't trust somebody that you just met, do you? Not really. You'd be foolish to trust him. So the way we trust God more and more and more is get to know him more and more and more. And that is through prayer and reading his word. If you don't read about him, if you don't study about him, if you don't go to church and you're not constantly hearing about how much God loves you and how great he is and how awesome he is, then you don't trust him. And so that's an essential part in getting that peace that surpasses all understanding is, under, is knowing that you can trust him. So that's so important. Um, I will end with this, and this is very impactful. It's one of the most powerful prayers in the midst of suffering that I have ever read, and it was uncovered from the horrors of Ravensbrück. It was a concentration camp during Nazi Germany. It was um, built in 1939 for women, and over 90,000 women and children perished in this concentration camp, uh, murdered by the Nazis. Corey Tim Boom was at this particular uh, concentration camp who wrote uh, the book The Hiding Place. And um, this prayer was found in the clothing of a dead child, and the child wrote, O oh Lord, remember not only the men and women of goodwill, but also those of ill will. But do not remember all the suffering that they have inflicted upon us. Instead, remember the fruits we have borne because of this suffering, our fellowship, our loyalty to one another, our humility, our courage, our generosity, the greatness of heart that has grown from this trouble. When our persecutors come to be judged by you, let all of these fruits that we have borne be their forgiveness. Isn't that amazing? That is really a true heart of prayer, isn't it? Recognizing that, yeah, a lot of bad things happened, but 
they saw the good in it. And that is the bottom line for us. Even though bad things are happening and your life is like feels like it's swirling out of control, remember, all things work together for good for those who love Christ Jesus and are called according to his purpose. Amen? Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, what awesome scriptures you have given us. And we want to be women of prayer, Lord. We want to be able to trust in you. So just impress upon our heart to keep meditating upon uh, your word, your attributes, uh, the wonderful things that you are, your mercy, your love, your grace, of which we are all so eternally thankful. And so we just ask that as we now break up in our groups that we will further recognize this truth and that we will be able to apply it to our lives. So we give you this time, ask that you bless it. In Jesus' name, amen.